0: It's a huge challenge and I know from experience, especially with the team that I work amongst, the pull for people, the kind of challenge for people is when you're on the front line seeing the need, it's so very difficult to hold strong boundaries. But I think for me, the message that I keep saying to myself is that I cannot be the hero. I am not the hero. And if we want things to change long term, it has to be a collective thing. It can't be The the model of expending all of your energy, burning out, and ruining all your relationships is not sustainable, it's not going to help anyone in the long run.
1: Welcome to season two of do good and do well. My name is Sarah Fox and I'm a life and leadership coach and founder of the do good and do well community and this is a podcast where we explore how to be a change maker without losing yourself. Let's get to it. everyone welcome to today's episode how are you today i am really excited to be talking to steph dickinson steph is the managing director of pi factory music a ramsgate based charity who have been in operation for almost 20 years steph attended pi as a young person herself so she has a unique perspective on charity leadership she is passionate about young people creativity, authenticity and good food and we do talk about that. We did an Instagram live after our recording so if you want to hear more pop over to my Instagram and look at IGTV this is the last interview that I'm doing for this season next week I'm going to be sharing some of the results from my change making survey so I've been doing some work trying to understand the language around change making and if the philosophy of do good and do well makes sense to people if you haven't had a chance to fill this in please go and click in the link in my show notes and Give it a go. It's not very long. You can be anonymous in your responses if you wish, but there's also a chance to get a free coaching session as well if you leave your email. So I really would love to hear from more people. The responses I've got so far have been so insightful and brilliant, and it means that I can really get to understand what on earth I'm doing and how I can help more people. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello Steph and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. How are you today?
0: Thanks Sarah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm actually, I'm positioned where I can see a lovely blue sky in front of me and right now I'm feeling pretty good.
1: That is good and we need a blue sky because the weather has been a oh, bit rubbish.
0: Yeah, it has. <laughs> really, yeah, I absolutely love um Ramsgate with blue sky is like Costa del somewhere else. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm with you all the way. (laughs) Steph, what would you like people to know about you? Um, Okay. I would like people to know that um, one of my favorite things to do is to eat Greek food. I'm half Greek Cypriot. So that's really important to me. Um, I'd like people to know that, everything I do I approach as a learner and the only thing I feel like I'm an expert in is my own life (laughs) so Mm. I just I I kind of like to approach everything like that and I think also just that I don't know in a a time like this just solidarity with anyone that is doing anything at this point (laughs) after the year we've had I think it's just I'm really proud of myself and I'm really proud of all of us for just continuing under the circumstances so yeah anyone that's listening just well done. That's
1: really yeah that's really lovely I love what you said about being an expert in your own life I'm writing a workshop that I'm running and one of the things that I was saying or or going to say in it is that I am not an expert in your life I'm here to share share ideas with you but you are the expert you know what works for you what will resonate what you can take forward and what you don't like what you want to ignore and it's a really good perspective so thank you for sharing that with us you you tell us a little bit about how it's been for you in lockdown and for pie factory
0: yeah Yeah, well, yeah, it's been a wild 18 months. So for me, personally, it's been an interesting one um, with um, at home, I have a four year old and a now 17 year old. So we've kind of just been navigating family life through the ups and downs of lockdown. And just trying to manage that has been quite challenging and interesting. And then also, I think, on top of that, just just managing a charity throughout the last 18 months has been, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a challenge, but I think in, in a lot of ways we've been very lucky in terms of how supportive our trustees have been, our staff are incredible people, and we've just got through it together. So I think in a lot of ways, I think we're closer, we're a lot more vulnerable with each other, we've had to be, but at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, when you're doing work right on the front line and seeing the impact of the last 18 months on real lives it takes a toll and i think you know we've just had to pace ourselves and just navigate it as humanly as possible um, and as honestly as possible um but i think we're not even yet seeing the full impact we're starting to see bits of it, but i do think we're going to be seeing the impact for for years to come so we're kind of like pacing ourselves with that in mind and not just Mm. thinking you know well it's over and we're all fine when actually we're gonna have to navigate our own well-being for a while after this
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think that's really insightful Can you, for people who don't know Pie Factory and what you do, can you give a little explanation? And, you know, you talked about what you're seeing on the front line and and expectations to come. So, yeah, can you talk a bit more about that?
0: Absolutely yeah so we're a charity so we're actually celebrating our 20th year as a charity next year which is quite unbelievable. (laughs) We're based in East Kent and we have four main streams of work so we have a youth work stream where we provide open access youth work sessions for free across Thanet and Dover and that yeah that is quite holistic so kind of the, the general things you would expect from youth work but also we're a creative organisation so there's lots of music and arts just woven in it through our sessions really. Then we have a music and creative arts strand, so our flagship programme for that is our emerging artists programme, where we support young people who are wanting careers in music and we match them with mentors and, and provide early industry yeah, advice and guidance. And then we have a pastoral program, and that's actually, it's always been part of what we've done, but this year that has become its own quite significant stream, Mm -hmm. so that includes things like running a food bank, providing sanitary products for young people, all sorts of things that are just a bit more holistic, and we find that they are very much part of our work. You can't really separate the pastoral stuff from the other activity stuff, so... Yeah, that, And then our fourth strand, which is actually, we call it workforce development. So really trying to use the knowledge and experience that we've gleaned from just being a charity for as long as we have to encourage and support the wider workforce and trying to sort of challenge the culture a little bit around what it means to be a charity, what it means to dream about a better world and how we can actually Mm -hmm. do that rather than just kind of... I don't know succumbing to well it's it's always going to be like this we we're trying to be a bit more optimistic that things can change.
1: Mm. Well you know that I'm all about challenging culture and that I think you're right you know these stories that we can tell ourselves particularly in this sector in the not-for-profit sector it's always been like this and things aren't going to change and and what what would you if I had a magic wand and I could I could give it to you and you could wish wish your magic around, what would be the one thing that you
0: would change? Um wow, okay, so do you mean like in the sector or like in the world? <laughs> <laughs> you get to choose you've got the wand, Steph. <laughs> I think in the sector I'm going to start with the sector and then we'll think about the world afterwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think in the sector, what I, what I sort of... I feel like I'm on a bit of a mission to disrupt the status quo in this area. I think, for me, the starting point is authenticity and honesty. And I think if we were to be more honest and more authentic about the challenges and the inequality and all the sort of, yeah, just the whole picture. If we were more authentic and more honest, I think doors would be open to then, well, how can we actually make this better? I think I do see a lot of holding it together and faking it, which I think actually keeps the door shut to what what we actually need. And I've, I've found in my own leadership that the thing that's opened doors has not been my qualifications my skills blah 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 it's actually been me being honest and saying I'm not okay or this isn't okay and how can we how can we make it better like that feels like the thing that actually connects me to people rather than yeah I don't know like what it says on a piece of paper about me
1: yeah and so what about what about the world
0: (laughs) (laughs) the world um I am dreaming of a world that is equitable and fair and a place where we honestly learn to love ourselves to love each other and to take care of of the planet that's I for me like that's the ultimate like looking after ourselves looking after people and looking mm. after the planet and I think that's probably the sort of driving force for me behind most things like how can we do it how can we do all of those things better yeah it's a big dream (laughs) Mm.
1: Mm. I like big dreams we need big dreams so where does this drive come from
0: for you I think for me I think well I'm from I'm from a working class background I grew up on on estates, and I actually moved to Thanet when I was seven. We moved from an estate in North London to Newington estate in ramsgate and I think I think for me that was the norm, and i I was obviously growing up you know relatively to other people poor but but also within the estate, I was probably qu- quite rich <laughs> like I was in a bit of a weird. Mm in between and I feel like I feel like that's been a bit of a theme in my life like I'm a little bit of an in-betweener not the program (laughs) Um, um and I feel like what it gives me is like I'm quite happy to exist in a bit of tension between things and I think that actually gives me a perspective of okay how do we how do we bridge these things like these things are existing in isolation but we have to find some sort of common ground and some sort of middle ground so I think that perspective probably is like the initial thing where I noticed okay my normal is not the same as everyone else's normal um and it wasn't until I got to secondary school um that I actually realized that actually people are judging me from where I've come from because I live on an estate and yeah yeah, and, and sort of then had to fight, I found myself having to fight for space. So, for example, I was just automatically put in like all the bottom sets of secondary school. I probably didn't do very well on a test as well, but I think it was influenced by where I'd come from, the school that I'd come from. And so I think the sort of passion and the, the drive and the fight comes from feeling like I'm in spaces that I have to fight to be in. And I, so if, I think because I felt that for myself, I look around at young people and I notice when I'm seeing young people have to do that for themselves. All being, all being judged and marginalised, you know, because of their background. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of just, like, I love people and I think that comes from just having, like, a wealth of, I've had some really amazing experience of just meeting so many different people from so many different backgrounds. I just enjoy people and I enjoy difference and I enjoy being challenged. And yeah, I think I've been lucky that I've got to meet a lot of people. Um, And I think, yeah, that's where that comes from.
1: Mm. Thank you for sharing that because I think... You know, your thing about being authentic and honest, you've really just demonstrated that so clearly there. And I resonate with so much of your story and about having to, um, yeah, sort of fight to take up space in a way. And I love the way that you described that you're happy in that place of tension mm. because I think... it's not a place that everybody feels that comfortable in but for me growing up on an estate and going to a grammar school and suddenly thinking oh hang on a minute (laughs) hang on a minute for me it was about not only did I feel judged by others but I think I was really judging myself as well Mm. within that in terms of oh well I'm you know that comparison not comparing myself to what other people had or what other people were doing and how it, it looked like it came very easily to them and and not so much to me and and why was that and I think you've articulated so well the experiences that you've had that that place you where you are right now and I know that you were actually a participant of pie factory yeah. weren't you you were a young yeah. person that went there so can you talk a little bit about that
0: yeah absolutely there's some really dodgy photos to prove it as well <laughs> um, <laughs> before- <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I so I um my first experience of pie was having free guitar lessons so I was really always interested in music From a very young age, and wanted like was interested in songwriting from about the age of 11. And my mum had taught me like three chords on the guitar. And I actually went to Pi at the time, they were running kind of a rock school on a Saturday um, in the building we're now in, which was a former like youth centre. And yeah, so I would go along on a Saturday and have free guitar lessons. And then that led to being part of a band with other musicians. And we had some performance opportunities, like we did one in right on the seafront in Ramsgate uh, years ago. That's one of the bad photos that I've got. Um, performances <laughs> in, like, the Winter Garden. So it it really did kind of open up my world to meet other creative young people and, like, creative practitioners who were, who were making careers out of that. So that was, like, my first experience. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, I became like a trainee workshop leader. So I shadowed some of the creative practitioners at, at Pi and helped with a vocal um, workshop and then gradually just got involved in the actual workshop leading. And I did that for many years. I really enjoyed going into various spaces and leading workshops with young people. And then I think it was around about 2010, 11, that I sort of... I. I started to get interested in the actual charity leadership and management side of things. And I did a bit of freelance project management. And to be honest, like, just learn on the job. <laughs> I think the guys at Pi mm. just saw something in me and just trusted me with a project. And I sort of just learned as I went. And then after that, I I did a stint of about five years where I was the program manager at Pi And then, yeah, it's actually seven years ago that my former boss moved on to another charity, and we had this honest conversation where he said, "Either we can hire someone in, or like, I think I think you can do this. Do you think you can step up to it?" And I was equally thrilled and terrified, but we (laughs) as a team, and we just felt like the gaps in my knowledge and skills are things that we can, I can get support with but the thing that you can't hire in is just an understanding of our charities like ethos and i guess because i've come through being a participant it's in my in my dna so yeah i'm i sort of said yes and then deeply regretted it for about a year <laughs> and I had to like come to terms with oh my goodness this is this is real and in that process just really recognised that I'm not going to lead like my former my former boss I'm not I'm I can only lead like myself and so it took about a year to Mm. actually properly step into it and realize that I could explore and experiment and I didn't have to get it right all the time and yeah so I'm I'm seven years in now (laughs)
1: Mm. was there a moment for you in particular where that happened when you had that realization that you could do you and try things out
0: yeah there was actually and I remember it was about a year in and it was I was needing to go to a, a really challenging meeting and I remember thinking to myself what would Mike do what would Mike do and I just remember sitting myself down and internally just saying what would Steph do And almost like putting aside the question of what would someone else do and just stepping out of that and stepping into it's in here, it's not external and that I have what it takes to deal with whatever's in front of me and just releasing myself from the pressure of comparison, I think, just comparing every decision or Mm. every approach to what I've seen modelled before. And from there, I just, I actually started to enjoy it rather than just feeling it as a pressure um yeah so I do I do remember that time just sitting in the waiting room of this mm. this building thinking I I can do this
1: <laughs> yeah oh,
0: I've got goosebumps all over listening to that
1: story because it's so powerful and that's what I wish for mm. people to have removing that comparison if particularly yeah. if it's a negative if it has a negative impact on you and stepping into who you are and um you know people call it all sorts of things but your instinct or your mm. knowing or your gut or yeah. you know but really um yeah connecting with self and yeah. knowing that that's going to be okay and that that's enough yeah. i think it's that's such a powerful story. What does do good and do well mean for you?
0: I think um I really love I really love and I really kind of resonate with the concept of do good and do well because I think I think what I've seen in in the sector has been like almost um a divorce of those two things and for me Mm it can only work if you have both of those things in balance. And so, so for me, I think I learned the hard way in terms of looking after myself. I had a bit of a breakdown when I was about 24, having already worked in another, in another organisation since I was 18. And yeah, just really burning out and also re- recognising the toxicity of the culture I was in. Yeah, so I think it wasn't until I had actually hit a bit of a burnout really early on in my in my life and in my kind of career in, in the not-for-profit sector that I realised that I am never, ever going to do that again and that actually recognising the worth that I hold as important alongside what I do. So I think that experience has shaped it massively. But also I think for me it doesn't make sense it's a bit of a contradiction if we look after other people but don't look after ourselves and I think the best type of the best type of living the best type of leadership is where you model something yourself so I've I found in my own leadership that if I want to look after my team and I want them to look after themselves then I have to I have to model that the power that actually your actions hold as opposed to just what you're saying is incomparable so if I'm saying to my staff make sure you're booking your annual leave make sure you're taking your breaks like just basic things like that if I'm not modeling that it's totally hypocritical so I think for me just like taking a step back and looking at the sector actually doing good you know that's that's a question in itself and i've done a lot of interrogating about what i think is good and actually how sometimes i Mm. can be causing unintentional harm because what i think is good is not necessarily what's good for the community or what's good for an organization so i think that's a really important question in itself what is good and how do we how do we arrive at a place that causes the least amount of harm (laughs) to people in our work (laughs) Um, But also doing well, I think, encompasses, like, what I was saying at the beginning, like, looking after ourselves and looking after the people that we're working alongside. And actually something, it, it just reminded me of that question. We've been, like, distilling our belief about the well-being of our team in the last year. Like, we've all, it's always been there, but we've been actually pushing it to the forefront this year. And I was trying to write a policy to kind of um, sum up what we really believe about well-being. And I was looking at other policies and kind of comparing it. And it really shocked me the amount of charity policies that say the reason we... Basically, the reason we look after our well-being is so that we're more productive. (laughs) Like, that was the kind of ethos behind why it's important to look after your own and other people's well-being. And I... For me, I think that's, that's the problem here. Like, it, it's not... We're not looking after ourselves and looking after each other so that we, we're more effective. We're looking after ourselves and we're looking after each other because people are important. And I think I think that is a, a switch that needs to change because I think as long as you do it for productivity, mm-hmm. that is in conflict with what I believe about humanity. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, you're so right. I think absolutely the question about what is good <laughs> and whose perspective are we looking at mm. and our, our well-being looking after ourselves. But I I agree. I think well-being is so... I mean, I've said this many times on this podcast, quite tick boxy. Let's put on a yoga class in the afternoon and that will make everyone chill out and then they can do more work after that. And and of course, there are good intentions there. Like, I don't want to I don't want to take that away from people. But I think we have to really look at as individuals running businesses, as organisations, what do we really mean by well-being and how committed are we to it? really yeah. and what does it what does good good well being look yeah. like. Yeah. And you're right, you know, the policies and and writing that down, articulating it and then modelling it. Mm. And then doing it. Because it's easy to write, isn't it, that yeah. yes, we'll encourage everybody to have lunch away from yeah. their desk. The reality is if, if someone has too many things on their to-do list yeah. that they feel like they will be judged for not doing it or they're not seen as doing a good job if they don't finish their to-do list, they're not going to take a lunch break no. away from their desk.
0: No, that's right. And yeah, I was just going to say that I think we we can focus too much on the behavior of people in terms of well-being and totally ignore the structural problems that create that behavior so I think it has to be both things at the same time it has to be modeling healthy work life stuff but I think it also we have to interrogate the structure and the culture that basically has created a really toxic environment in it and even in organizations that are doing and doing amazing work and and have big dreams for amazing things to happen there still can be toxic cultures in the way that that's done and I think until we really face looking at that and not being scared to interrogate or dream you know how do we want to work how do we want to exist as a community as an organization and not just keep putting ourselves at the bottom of the ladder in terms of care until we really do that I think we're just going to keep kind of doing this tick box of yeah we'll we'll do a few little visible things but actually the culture doesn't change and it and it it then also becomes like until we properly change the structure and the culture depending on who is leading the organization it 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 will be short-lived if it's only me saying mm. we need to do this and this when i move on if someone isn't saying that then we haven't changed anything so it has to exist mm. outside of a person pushing that agenda
1: yeah yeah exactly and people have to feel like they're really able to to do that that they've got space to be able to create create a culture an organizational culture where wellbeing is totally at the heart of what they do and we've seen you know there's so much evidence there are so many examples of people burning out you know you talked about burning out and you know what are we what is this this these structures and systems costing people Mm -hmm. and what are we willing to put up with I keep thinking like there is you know I don't want to add this as another thing that people have to think about but actually by playing those games by being part of that system by by us keep saying yes 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 I'll do that I'll do that and I won't get paid enough and I'll work until 10 11 o'clock at night and then get up at six o'clock in the morning what are we compounding yeah by by doing that
0: yeah Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge challenge. And I know, I know from experience, especially with the team that I work amongst, um, the pull for people, the kind of challenge for people is when you see, when you're on the front line, seeing the need, it's so very difficult to hold strong boundaries. But I think for me, the kind of message that I keep saying to myself is that I cannot be the hero. I am not the hero, and if we want things to change long term, it has to be a collective thing. It can't be the the model of doing, expending all of your energy, burning out, and ruining all your relationships. is not sustainable. It's not help. That is not going to help anyone in the long run. So, I think it is just holding those boundaries, mm. but recognizing that that is not saying that you don't care. I think that's what I've had to yeah. you know, battle with. It's not that I don't care. I deeply care, but that is why I hold strong boundaries. Cause I want to be doing this all my life and I don't want to, I never want to mm. burn out again.
1: Mm. Yeah, that image of rescuer, mm. I I find people who are doing this work are real pe- people pleasers. You know, mm. they want they they really try hard and they want to do their best and they they want to help. They they are rescuers, but actually that can be quite it can be quite disempowering for the person mm. they are rescuing. Mm. So I think you're right again. It's that modelling of boundaries, isn't it? To To the people that we're working with as well and and our children. One of the things I keep thinking about is I would hate for my children to grow up having the same stories around Mm. busyness and productive and money that I have or I had, should I say. And so it's really important for me that they are able to see that there is a different way of doing things and... It's not it's not gonna break anything yeah. <laughs> if we try a different way. Yeah. And that they get are curious about that. Yeah. That they can they can question and say, hang on, why why hang on, why is it like this?
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And yeah, and I think um when I had my daughter who's just recently turned four, I think that was another hugely transformative time for me in how seriously do I take looking after myself and it's one thing doing that when it's just you it impacts but it's another thing when you're thinking about that in terms of parenthood I think and I'm actually one kind of specific thing that I had to battle with and hold quite a firm boundary with was my own perception of what it looked like in taking maternity leave and coming back from maternity leave because I almost felt guilty for thinking that I could have maternity leave which is utterly wild and nonsense but I really I just didn't see it modelled very visibly and I just saw people kind of quietly backing away from work and no one really celebrating that or it almost there felt like a bit of judgment around it and that that probably was internal but it just didn't feel like people were celebrating female leaders having children (laughs) and anyway so I was just kind of like in that place and when I came back to work I could feel this pull of like when you come back you need to be full-time no one was saying that to me but internally I was like how can I manage a charity and not be full-time and then I was like I I flipping well can (laughs) and I had just a really honest (laughs) conversation with with our with our team and I said look I think I think I need to be part-time and I think that I will give my best to the charity and my best to Sophie if I do that. And we just had like a really honest conversation about what that practically looked like, how we could make that work. And thankfully, that you know, the, the team is amazing. And they also, we've got a really good experience in terms of their own parental journeys. So I've never, mm. I've never been full time since then. And that's one thing, that's a structural thing that I think has to change. It's not either or um I you know I can still exist as this person and and be a mum and I'm not going to hide that and that was actually why I chose the photo of me holding Sophie when when you asked for a photo Sarah because I want it to be visible yeah I want me as a mum to be visible because that it's really important part of who I am it
1: it's such an issue isn't it the the maternity leave and on the episode last week I had Claire Willits who um, is the founder of Not Only Pink and Blue and she's sort Mm. of challenging stereotypes um, or gender stereotypes and one of the things that she's talking about is how do we talk about parental leave as well Mm. and, and what that means and how can we get better at talking about this stuff and I remember going off on maternity leave I had two sets of maternity leave and my first one I was feeling guilty anyway because I had only just got the job when I got pregnant so there was like a whole ton of guilt (laughs) going on there and I and I went on maternity leave and for me it was really important to keep working because I needed that in terms of my identity and you know I I didn't particularly want to be a stay-at-home mum that wasn't for me and I think I went back after it was about six months I think I went back and, and went back for one day a week um, for a while before going back and I was never full-time um, but I really I don't think I had particularly good boundaries in place at that point and then when I had my son not that not that long <laughs> later so even more guilt I'm going <laughs> off again um, <laughs> I think I took I t- again six to nine months off for maternity but that you know the guilt of when I was at work about not being with my kids and then the guilt when I'm with my kids about not doing the work I mean it was it it really my boundaries were blurred because I I was trying to do everything all at the same time Mm. and if I could go back now and knowing what I know now about myself Mm. and uh, and the the work that I've done it would look very very different Mm. I think Mm. um but I didn't see I couldn't really see other women doing the same thing and I was looking I remember looking for a mentor yeah and I really wanted a female who had children yeah. and really struggled to find that someone who was in leadership yeah it was it was really hard so I just thank you for for doing what you're doing and being visible about that because it will make a difference to other people as they you know think about whether they want to whether they want to be a leader and what's possible
0: yeah absolutely and I I think that becoming becoming um, a parent has has been probably the best leadership lesson I've ever had I think I'm a much better leader because of just the transformation that becoming a parent comes with, and again, I think it's just one of those things we're so quick to like divorce things from each other when actually, if we were just to look a bit more holistically at everything, we would see that some things can coexist and actually offer offer transformation you know at the same time, and yeah, I would just say if anyone is thinking about that and is feeling like it's not visible. You're, you're right, and just just keep pushing forward and keep carving out a way that works for you. If it doesn't exist, make mm-hmm. it make it exist, and then shout about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm changing the topic slightly because I want to talk to you about good food. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we talk. <laughs> in your bio you said I'm passionate about young people authenticity and good food and then you talked about how food is really
0: important to you so you know how does that how does it work with your well-being? I love I love good food and I think it's very much part of my DNA uh certainly in my my Greek heritage it's such an important part of who we are just like Cooking together, eating together, washing up together. And I've got really fond memories of visiting my, they're, they're called Bapu and Yaya, which are my paternal grandparents, where we would just spend a whole day like preparing, you know, preparing things and eating together. So I think that that's kind of where it comes from. And I think for me, there is something so human about eating together because it's such a basic need. We all do it, we all have to mm-hmm. do it. But there's something about sharing that with people and so we do loads of it here at pie you know any chance we get to eat together and cook together we do um funnily enough we don't make pies maybe that's something we should (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah I think I think for my own well-being I just I love just getting into the headspace of putting on music that I love taking my time buying ingredients that I like cooking something that means something, and then sharing it, there's not there's not many better things for me. And I often, I'll book that in to, to a weekend just to know that we've got people coming over and we're eating good food together. Um, mm. Yeah, I guess it's like, the visual for me is just like having that open table. And food for me just represents that kind of openness. I guess that's the root of it, really. Um, just welcoming people in, Yeah.
1: And I saw, I think it was on your Twitter and you'd said that you were cooking Greek potatoes or something and that was your way of getting grounded and, and letting the day go. And I and I <laughs> thinking, oh, I need that recipe for Greek potatoes. You can give that to me later. Um, but I, th- I totally agree. And I think that that's been one of the hardest things for, for us as a family mm. over lockdown is because, you know, that uh, that inviting people in, mm. cooking lots of food... Making the house look nice. I mean, it's a reason for cleaning, isn't it? So like, you know, because you've got people coming round. And, yeah, the, the joy of sitting around a table. And, oh, I just, I, I really have missed yeah. that so much. And the welcoming people into your home and sharing stories about what you've got up to. And when I worked at People United we always talked about having tea and cake with people, just the act of sitting down. And it was a way of connecting with each other and building those relationships. Mm. So, so lovely. So I think, yeah, I need to do something about, I don't know, do good and eat good food or something. (laughs) There's kind of (laughs) a TV show there for me.
0: (laughs) You should do like a live where someone like, yeah, cooks and then chats them. Yeah.
1: okay i'm liking this idea but i am taking the summer off i'll do it in september um (laughs) um steph how do people find out more about you about pie factory what's going on how can they connect
0: yeah so so me personally um Instagram or Twitter. It's quite a mixed bag. You have to be warned. There's a lot of just like me posting photos of what I'm eating. But I also do try and kind of, um, yeah, a bit of the kind of activism stuff is interspersed in there as well. So at Steffi Dickinson is my handle. Um, Pie Factory, we're on all the kind of usual social channels and it's at Pie Factory Music. And on our website, you can sign up to our mailing list where we give a few more good news stories and, and a bit of a deeper way to engage with us. We're Yeah, we're open and we're here in Ramsgate. So if you ever want a little tour, I'd be happy to show you around. And yeah, it's nice to actually be able to do that. So if anyone wants to get in touch, please do. Mm.
1: Am I right in thinking you're doing some kind of fundraiser?
0: We are. I mean, we're always. Oh, have I made that up? No, you're right. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, we we actually did a big community fundraiser last year. We did. We fundraised to provide a counselling service for young people. We just saw a great need in the in the amount of counselling that was needed. And off the back of that, we're also just gearing up for not sh- not quite sure what the youth sector and the arts sector is going to look like post-COVID. So we're actually just gearing up to put a call out for regular donors. We really would love to partner with people who just believe in young people and believe in the power of the arts and creativity. So if you're able to spare five quid a month or ten quid a month and you want to become one of our donors, piece of the pie, then um, get in touch. Brilliant.
1: Thank you so much, Steph. Honestly, I've just, I have loved this conversation and I'm looking forward to our live afterwards to dig a little bit deeper. You are such an inspiration in terms of your journey and, you know, what you're thinking about for yourself, for your team and also for the sector. And thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today
0: no worries thanks for having me sarah
1: thank you so much for listening to that i hope that something resonated for you just a reminder if you'd like to do my survey around change making then the link is in the show notes and i will put all the information about steph and pie factory in there too as well have a good day take very good care